Welcome to the Tanakh Podcast. Today, Shmuel Aleph, Perek Chet. Shalom. Today we are dedicating our learning to the Rufuah Shleima, to the speedy recovery and full recovery of Dona Batlea and a young man, Arie Netanel Ben Nechama Chana. And today, chapter 8, what a chapter, it deals with the monarchy. We begin with Bayhika Asher Zakein Shmuel. Shmuel is old. Now Shmuel dies at age 52, as we will find later on in chapter 25. So he can't be that old. But the point is that he has been leading the people and they're looking for a replacement. And his sons, apparently, were not as scrupulous as Shmuel. And they took bribes. In fact, they are Shoftim Bebersheva. I don't want to insult anybody in Beersheva, but apparently he pushes them to the periphery. Interestingly enough, they still get jobs. They still get jobs as judges, but in a remote location. Now, I love this as an introduction to our chapter because this just shows us the dangers of hereditary power. That when you're the leader, when you've got children, they they don't necessarily follow in your way. And in a chapter which deals with the monarchy, this is certainly a foreboding beginning. And we read in Pasuk Dalad, Everybody comes to Shmuel in his hometown, all the elders, and they say, Give us a king to, to, to lead us like all of the nations. And Shmuel found this very, very difficult. He, he, he found it He found it really bad. Now, I have to say that there is a background to this, because when you turn to the next chapters, you will find that, in fact, the central area of the country where Shmuel lives, the tribe of Binyamin, is actually been totally overrun and controlled by the Philistines. It seems like since Shmuel's last war in chapter 7, the Philistines have made advances, and now the country is under foreign occupation. There are Philistine garrisons, Philistine forts all over the show. In fact, Shaul's first war, which we will see in a few chapters, is a war of independence. And therefore, it seems that the need for a king has become really acute. We need somebody to fight and to restore our sovereignty over our own land. It's a no-brainer, in other words. And all of you who were with us for the book of Shoftim understand the book ended with Ein Melech B'Yisrael. There is no king. The indication being that were there central government we could have created a proper security force to stop the periodic invasions. We might have even been able to stymie the frequent civil wars which were happening. The time is ripe for national leadership instead of tribal leadership. And therefore the question is, Why is this so bad in Shmuel's eyes? And why does God say in the next verse, Listen to the people. But you should also know, he says, They haven't rejected you, Shmuel, says God. They've actually rejected me. I don't get it, because when we look at this, the Torah, Devarim chapter 17, Deuteronomy chapter 17, legislates a king. 
It tells us that we're allowed to, if the people ask. Let's take a look at the verses there. When you come in the land, and you you dwell there, and you say, I want a king like all the nations around me. Now, that's exactly the language of our chapter, where they say, Give us a king to lead us like all the nations. So let's first deal with that. Is there anything bad with that phrase? And this is the question, is it point for us a king so that we can be like the nations? Or is it point for us a king like all the nations to lead us? And I prefer the second read. Since the Torah tells us that the king we should appoint is exactly when we say, give us a king like all the nations. What they're really saying is, we need a king. We need a king, or as it says at the end of our chapter in Shmuel, um, our king will lead us. We need a national leader to fight. The Torah continues in Devarim and says, Yes, you should give yourself a, a king who God chooses. From amongst your brothers, appoint a king. You're not allowed to have a non Jewish king. And please notice the use of the word. He's one of the brothers. He doesn't have blue blood running through his veins. And then what the Torah gives us is a bunch of restrictions. It doesn't give us its constitutional rights. He gives us restrictions. He shouldn't have too many horses. We explain that by he shouldn't be over-obsessed with war. Shouldn't lead the people back to Egypt for this reason. He shouldn't have too many wives. Shouldn't be involved in maybe sexual indulgence. They not lead his heart astray, but he shouldn't be too involved in wealth. By the way, these are the three classic weaknesses of kings. Wealth, women, war. And then it says, and when he sits on his royal throne, he has to write a copy of the Torah. And what does all this lead to? It says two sort of motive clauses. Number one, Laman Yilmadi Yirat Hashem. He's got to keep this Torah and read it so that he'll fear God to keep all of this Torah and he shouldn't become too haughty he shouldn't abandon the mitzvot the critical elements of a king are he shouldn't be too indulgent he has to be one of the achim he has to be not too lording it over the people. I'll put it this way. He mustn't be too mighty. And he mustn't depart from the mitzvot. We all know that in the ancient world, kings saw themselves as demigods. They saw themselves as divine beings and everybody else served them, worshipped them. They pronounced, you know, the destiny of their nations without even thinking. In the Jewish system, the king is on the same level as the people. It's almost, almost democratic. He's one of the Achim, he's one of the brothers. He mustn't raise his um, his heart above the people. but And therefore he must be very careful not to indulge in wealth, women, war. But he's really there to lead the people in the path of the Torah. And maybe that's exactly what bothered Shmuel. 
You know, until now, our leaders have always been, on the one hand, national leaders, but also religious leaders. Think of Moshe, the lawgiver, the prophet, and at the same time, the man who led them to war, for example, I don't know, against Sichon and Og. He was the national leader and a religious leader. Joshua was also a national leader and a religious leader. Even the Shoftim, in their ideal form, the judges, we mentioned or in, in our discussion back in chapter 2 of Shoftim, that they're meant to have a military impact, but also a spiritual impact. And until, if we read chapter 7 well, Shmuel was a religious leader, but he was also a military leader. He led them in war. So now if they're asking for a king, what are they asking for? They're asking for a separation of powers. They're saying, we want a king like all the nations. We want a king who's just going to lead us in war. Oh, and what of the religious leadership? And that's why God possibly sees this as a rejection of him. They're looking to solve their political problems, but they're not paying due attention to the fact that, from the Torah's perspective, religion is the key to our national uh, prosperity and our national flourishing. And this separation, you know, throughout the times of the kings, you always have a, a king and then the prophet will be his greatest critic. Because if he wants, really, before the king, they were embodied in a single individual. Now it's separated out. The king is responsible for the political, for the military. And so is the prophet. And when the prophet sees the king in the right direction, he backs the king. When the prophet sees the king going in the wrong direction, he becomes the king's greatest opponent. Whichever way, uh, when we come back to our chapter, um, Shmuel is told to sort of read out the Mishpat HaMelech, the laws of the king. And these are totally different to what we read in Devarim. So what exactly are these? He says, for example, that, you know, he'll take your daughters and have them work for him in his kitchens. He'll take your sons and put them in his army. And in the end, you're going to cry out. You're going to cry out of the, 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 the tyranny, the oppression of the ruling class. OK, um, he says, what he's really saying here is that once we move to a situation of a king, he says, you do realize that a king means creating a standing army. A king create, means creating a tax collecting system. It means that you have central government and that is going to change the whole fabric of governance in the, in the country. But the people are really, really excited about this notion and one might even argue that it was an essential national need at this point in history to have a king. And that's why um, God, in fact, ends the, the chapter by saying to them, um, God says to Shmuel, listen to their voice. And appoint them a city. And Shmuel sent everybody home to start getting the, the wheels turning. And that's exactly sort of sets the stage for what's going to happen with the kings, because uh, what we're going to see is now the appointment of kings, first Shaul and then David. And when they're spiritually attuned, everything's going to go great. But when they diverge from the correct spiritual direction, the Navi is going to really come along with a very, very severe set of warnings and criticisms um, to make sure that the king leads the country in the direction of God. Thank you very much for listening. See you tomorrow. Oh, I just can't wait.